Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Saturday, March 5th at 10.23 a.m. Kind of a lazy morning. Been grinding this week. We got report cards due on Monday. Trying to change things up in the classroom. Lots of assessments. Parent-teacher conferences coming up after that. Then the board meeting coming up after that. So, whoo! I got to tell you, the marijuana nightmares have been real this week. I have been sober since Monday, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all clean, no dope. You know, fatigue increased, but at the same token, uh, my mental function increased. And so if I can catch up on my sleep, then I think it's going to be like, woo, on a whole other planet. Uh, but I will say the what crushed me must have been Thursday night. Thursday night crushed me. Because the nightmares were harsh. I'm talking bad. I'm talking, I woke up and I try to not get on my phone because it distracts me from what's important. But I woke up that morning and I immediately got on my phone. I immediately got on Instagram and I'm just like, try to erase, try to erase. Dopamine hit, dopamine hit, flashy lights, different color, constantly new subject material. Ah, Because this is a dream I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, which... Kind of crazy is now that my sleep cycle is, and when I say my sleep cycle, I mean my brain waves, uh, and, and you know going into the correct phases of sleep. Now that that's returning to normal, my dreams are connected to what happens during the day. And so this one I had talked to with my grandmother about my grandfather, and he's a piece of shit, and he's, you know, he's really beat up. He, he's got terrible back pain. He's a big whiner. He's emotionally abusive to her. And so what's my dream about? It's about my grandfather. And I end up, we're in Florida. I'm in with my grandfather, my grandmother. I'm looking to get high. I go inside this little hipster coffee shop. I smoke with a cook. I come back out. And as I'm coming out of the coffee shop, you know, all these families with little kids are all saying, oh, it smells in here. It smells stinky. It smells like... And then they see me and they all back up a little bit. They're like, oh, you know, fear in their eyes because my own eyes are this dark, dark red that they always are when I get high. And as I go out, I find my grandfather sitting on the bench and he starts complaining about his back. Then he starts having convulsions and it's it's just like Richter, you know, his back's all arched. She's like, oh, oh, I'm in pain. My grandfather, grandmother's, oh, you're okay, you're okay. Well, then he starts defecating on himself and she's like, whoa, whoa, and she's trying to stem the tide and then it turns into bloody diarrhea and then it's me whispering to him, telling him I love him because I think he's going to die and then he pushes me away with these claw-like fingers, hits me right in the chest, and it's just, it was was fucking awful. I don't dare go into any more of the detail, but I woke up from that and not in a good place. So, (laughs) word of caution, you know, I mean, I have heard people say, I think it was Joe Rogan prepping for Sober October or something, that he like weaned his way down to try to alleviate those dreams. Um, I can't advocate one way or another, like I don't know you, whatever works best for you, but we got another episode here with Daria, a, a more recent update. I'm trying to get on this. Uh, you know, I love you guys. If you send me an update with an audio file, and listen, she's fantastic. She brightens my day. Like, the, she's a, an amazing human being. The accent cracks me up. I just, I could listen to it for hours. I will say this. If you send me something in audio form, do your best to avoid including any like personal bits if you're worried about somebody tracking you down. If you ain't worried about it, let me know. Um, otherwise, I I try to take it upon myself. I probably I probably put too much work into it, cleaning it up. And so I will just throw that out there. Otherwise, definitely email 
is uh, another good way to go. I can just tell your story that way. She's fantastic. Love hearing from her. Can't wait to hear from her again. And so without any further ado, let's hear from Daria. Hello from New Zealand. It is Wednesday at 11.35 a.m. Um, 2nd of March. 2nd of Marijuana Free March. So I thought I would just let you know how I'm going. Um, since I don't think I have anyone else in my life that's trying to quit weed. Like, as you said and I think your last podcast, they're not trying to quit. Or they just don't smoke. <laughs> so there's not really many people working on getting, like, yeah, quitting like I am. So... Again, you can just use this as a response to what you're saying, so you know someone is out there listening, even though you've got 5,000 people listening, or whatever it is, but someone is responding and someone is going through the exact same thing with the marijuana. So, yesterday was sweet, you know, the first day you try to quit is always like, alright, um, yeah, I actually didn't have very many cravings for it or anything, I just, I got through the day sweet. I did binge a bit of Netflix, um, which was perhaps... That didn't make me feel that great. Perhaps that was like another, you know, an unhealthy habit to swap it out for. So I'll try not to do that today. Did a bunch of yoga this morning. Oh, by the way, when I said my big four, I meant um, like my big four are sunrises with my dog, yoga, jumping in the ocean and journaling. Um, not not the, 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 the chemicals, but yeah, that, that relates to. That's the way I get those chemicals. And I've actually got adult ADHD, which means... Well, it means that you don't produce enough dopamine, apparently, so you're always chasing it um, and sort of going a bit too hard with it. Hence my history with alcohol and drugs. Um, yeah, so day two, day two would probably be all right too. I, I remember in my previous experiences of quitting, it kind of, it kicks in sort of like the withdrawal day three or four or five and then kind of by about day nine or ten I'm sort of feeling normal again so I'm aware that those days are coming up and I'm putting some things in place to hit the dopamine um I there is a big hill uh for me to skateboard down by our house and it's like the the dream hill for a skateboarder you can vomit it's pretty long like it takes like three minutes to get to the end of you go like 50 kilometers down and you know you're going to be safe unless you come across a stone or something um, because it, it goes up like a big like a giant half pipe kind of thing but a slow one so I've been doing that to get the dopamine um, first thing in the morning with the dog it's also a great way to um, a lazy way to tire my dog out because she just chases me uh, but yeah I'll, I'll let you know how I go with the withdrawal last time I was in Queenstown it was around December last year when I was trying to quit and I remember having this day where I couldn't even appreciate the beauty of this amazing place I was at. And I just shut myself in my room and watched The Handmaid's Tale for like hours. So um, I did do a big calculation last year when I was feeling like really down about how much I was drinking and eating shitty and smoking all day. Um, so I actually did a big um, sort of audit on myself and went through my bank statements and highlighted every time where I'd spent money buying pot. Um, buying alcohol or buying food or Uber Eats deliveries and stuff um, because I would be too high to cook. Um, that cost, I called it the the uh, Daria trash trifecta, the trash trifecta was in fact costing me um, about $300 a week on all those three things and I thought shit if I could save $300 a week I'll have like, I don't know what's that mean, like 12 grand or something towards my my adventure next year so a big driver is the money I was wasting on it but mainly the big driver is you know we know that our higher self wants us to be better than that we know we don't want to settle for the mediocre um 
and that we want to be fucking inspiring out of the gate kind of people that don't just settle for the the regular lifestyle that we have and, and I relate when you say you know you're still grateful you've got a beautiful wife and got a good job and I'm the same I've got a job that I love my partner's great um it's almost good that he hates me smoking marijuana because then I don't do it around him um but of course yeah my thing with it was I couldn't regulate at all um I couldn't regulate at all how much I was smoking I'd go through about a, an eighth a week which was I know that's not heaps for a stoner um and I've consistently just kept it at about an eighth a, um a week for the whole six years there were definitely I'd probably say a few months though where it got up to double that um and yeah, I, I just I just know that I've wasted so much time. Like I'd say I've lost entire days to just deciding to smoke. And it's it's blissful, it's comfortable in a way, but it's not um it's yeah, it's counterintuitive to what I'm trying to do. Um I just know for a fact that I'll be able to accomplish so much more once I've kicked the habit. I'm already like being amazing compared to 2021 just with um with taking the alcohol out so I can't imagine how productive and amazing I'm going to feel when I finally kick weed to the curb uh but yeah what a backtracking a bit what I was saying with that eighth I wouldn't be able to regulate it like my goal with weed would be like oh I'd love to have a joint on a Sunday night it's like a bit of a ritual whatever and that's the only time I smoke um, a blunt, sorry, I've never smoked tobacco, thankfully. Tobacco gives me a splitting headache straight away and I can't smoke tobacco. So that's lucky for me because I'm sure if I liked it, I'd also smoke tobacco. Um, but yeah, so I'd love to have a big blunt on Sunday night, take a few hits um, and be able to control it like that. Like have my eighth at home and come home from school on Monday and be like, I, I don't want to be high tonight. I'm doing some other stuff. So when I get to that level of control and who knows how long it's going to take, that's when I'll be pretty happy with myself because... I think, oh, do I want to quit it? Like, do I want it out of my life forever? And no, like, that's that's quite an intimidating thing. Like, perhaps, perhaps that's what needs to happen. But I think that's a really intimidating way to, like, bro- uh, broach it. Like, same with alcohol, like, quitting forever. Um, so, yeah, just taking it one year with alcohol and taking it one month so far with marijuana. We'll just do marijuana-free March, break it down, reassess in April. I know that I won't have any control over it come April still, and I'll probably have to do another month, but... At least if I can achieve marijuana free March, we'll be kind of heading in the right direction. So, yeah, I'd love to just have the control over it. At the moment, I don't. If I had weed in my car right now, I'd be taking a hit. I'd, if I could get away with it, if I had a couple of hours at my sleeve, I'd take a hit. You know, that's just where I was at with it. Same as you were saying, like, you know, you don't smoke because you go to school. But if you weren't at school and you're at home, you'd probably take a hit. Like, when I know it's there, I, I call them the addictive gremlins. I don't know how I got that off. It might have been you or someone from our other podcast. When the uh, addictive gremlins jump in, they, they'll say, you know, Daria, like, you got a couple of hours up your sleeve. Why don't you take a hit? It's terrible. Um, I'd love for those to fuck off and for me to be like, no, I choose when I smoke and I have lots of control over it, like I used to. When I was younger, early 20s, my partner and I back then, we would have an eighth in the house and it would last for a really long time. We would just take a little bit out on the weekends or, yeah, it was, I don't know how I went from being able to control it to just not controlling it. I don't know when that actual addiction flicked in my brain. Um, but yeah, it's a work in progress. And I, I totally related when you said you just hit the reason, like what I had to do on um, the last day of February was throw my marijuana paraphernalia, all of it, 
in the bin. I had smoked it all, but I knew uh, that, yeah, if I still kept my grinder and stuff, I would scrape at the keef and take a hit of the keef or the resin or something. It's exactly how it is. It's just the addict. Um, like when you were telling your story about throwing the buds over the fence, I thought you were going to say you went and scraped them out and found them because that's what I would have done. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's my response really. I'm going to keep it a bit briefer today since I talked for way too long. Um, but yeah, just wanted to say proud of you for getting back on the horse. You were on holiday. Don't be, don't beat yourself up too much. Um, but I know what you mean. That excuse of oh, I'm on holiday. I'm so like that too. Any, any excuse, you know. It's Sunday. Oh, it's my birthday. Oh, it's a sunny day. Like, there's always some excuse, and, and we really need to work on that self-control and that discipline. So, when I'm having cravings at the moment, I'm like, oh, you just need the dopamine hit. Take your skateboard up the big hill. Just nail that hill a few times. Um, and yeah, amazing that you can meditate for an hour every um, morning. Like, I really need to get a handle on that. Um, that would be awesome to get a handle on that. Um, I just, yeah, yeah, I do think about other things while meditating. Let me know if there was anything that helped you really get into meditating. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd love to do that. I do a lot of yoga and I try and clear my, my thoughts sort of, uh, when I'm doing the yoga, but yeah, I'd love to be able to master meditation. That would be fantastic. I might try the Wim Hof breathing techniques as well. Anyway, that's all from Daria today. Uh, but yeah, I awesome that you went on holiday. So funny that you're like kept taking hits at the beach because the beach is one of my favourite places to be. High, everything is just glorious. The visuals, the the ocean. I, I just feel appreciative of it all and in awe of the nature. But it's it's ridiculous because it's like when I go there when I'm not high, I feel exactly the same. It just like maybe enhances it a little bit and then pulls you down. Um, yeah, I really related to what you said on one of the other podcasts about. Um, you know, when you come down, uh, you're not balanced anymore. You're a little bit below, so you need to take more of a hit. It's just a vicious cycle. And I also agree with you that, like, it's sort of under-supported, under the marijuana addiction. It's not viewed at, by society or frowned upon anymore like things like a crack addiction, but it can still have those same characteristics of not being in charge of the, of the drug, the drug, drug being in charge of you, having that control, making you do gross things, unhealthy things to get that hit. Um, yeah, I, I could relate to that a lot um, in your last one. Anyway, that's it. Have a great day. Hey, so, D Daria, I actually did jump that fence and look for that freaking bud. Uh, I mean, I'm telling because I'm looking around all furtive, right? You're not really supposed to be behind that fence. But finally, I'm like, this is my last day here. I'm going to leave in literally like 60 minutes. So who gives a fuck? So I jump over the fence. I'm looking. I'm walking this way. I'm walking that way. There were some big nugs. I I, I was green on green, though, and I could not find them. So, uh, yeah, I have definitely scraped the keef out of a grinder or two. I have definitely scraped the resin. You name it. <laughs> like you say, you know, just chasing that THC high. Um, hey, I want to throw something out there for you guys because this, this is what freaking really, really frustrates me about the concept of medicine. Meditation. So what I did was I went to a 10-day retreat. It was called Vipassana, V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A -S -S -A -A or something, Vipassana. And it was segregated by gender. So even though we would all meditate in the same room, men were on one side of the room, women were on the other, and we had our own sleeping quarters. And for 10 days, you had to engage in what was called noble silence. So there was no talking. You could not talk for 10 days. And we meditated for between, you know, 
10, you could probably do nine and a half, or you could go all the way up to 11. And I, I attended every single session. There were some optional morning sessions at like 4 a.m., but I went to those too. And the focus for the first couple of days was trying to improve your concentration and your powers of focus. And so we, we would think about the sensations that were from the top of our nose down to the corners of our lips and everything within that triangle. And then it slowly would, as the, as the first three days progressed, it's called anapana breathing or anapana meditation. Then you would focus on literally just the touch of the breath coming out of your nose because it's always there. It's ever present, but we are so out of tune with our bodies and we are so insensitive that we don't notice it. And so after that level of uh, specificity, concentration had been reached, then we would start scanning. And so you'd start at the top of your head and you'd kind of go through your body in sequential manner, um, just observing the sensations on your body. And the idea was that ultimately suffering comes down to two things. It comes down to craving and aversion. So a sensation is either pleasant and you crave more of it, or it's unpleasant and you have an aversion to it. And those reactions are what cause suffering, and you can apply this to anything in life. You either crave it at its deepest core, or you have an aversion to it. You try to go away, you try to get away from it. Things we, that we want to happen don't, and things we don't want to happen do. And how do you how do you wrestle with that? And I had a, this insane breakthrough on day six. Listen, this this stuff is legit because as I'm scanning, I have a knee pain, and I'm focusing on my knee pain. We're sitting cross-legged, and I, I really am like, okay, on that spot, I'm just going to observe it. And I do almost like was a magnifying glass. I, there's a, like you picture a circle. I shouldn't say a magnifying glass. I should say a microscope. If you've ever been in a biology lab, uh, you know, these microscopes have two or three different lenses at the bottom that you would rotate depending on how close you wanted to get to the little group of cells or whatever. And that circle, you know, let's say it's a 10 by and then it's a a 20 by and then it's a 40 by so you zoom in zoom in zoom in i did that to my knee first it was like oh there's pain on the side of my knee and then it was oh there's pain in between those joints and then i was literally in between those joints at the very like heart of it at the very center of it and i was in there for a, a couple of seconds before my concentration wavered and I came out. And it was the most mind-blowing experience I've ever had. Uh, you have to be sober that whole time. You eat vegetarian, really light food. So it's, it's a true retreat. You know, it's truly just you dealing with yourself. And what was so cool is at the end of the, each evening, you would listen to a discourse by the guy who kind of brought it from India and made it more mainstream, uh, brought it into the Western world. And he's super funny, super peaceful, like really content, happy dude. Uh, kind of chubby too. So it just, and he's this old Indian guy. It totally fit. And you could buy the book. He, he's got a little book out there. But Siddharth Gautama, the Buddha, it's been recorded hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago about these little particles called kalapas that are constantly vibrating and that are within, that are within all things in particular within your body. So the concept, and then later science proves that, oh yeah, we have these like subatomic particles and that everything is just a form of vibration. And so it's radical to me to think about the fact that 
our potential as human beings, somebody had that ability to get to the very deepest level of existence, of, of energy, and to see it for what it was. And the end of the kind of Buddha story is that he, so the Buddha, you know, he was a spoiled prince and he saw people, he had everything in the world, but he was still suffering. And so he went out and just started to become, and just walked the world and he observed suffering and he spent many years going around practicing fasting, this, that, and the other thing. And he realized that, okay, the world is suffering. How do we free ourselves from suffering? Suffering is due to craving and aversion. And so he, he began meditating and, and through that meditation, you know, he became, he became more, I don't know, more in tune or, or had greater understanding, but he was still always, there was always a barrier. There was always something that prevented him from becoming enlightened. And one day he went over to the tree. I can't even remember what tree it is right now, but he went to this tree and he, he said, I'm going to sit underneath this tree and I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to move. I'm just going to meditate until I figure out what is truth. And so that's what he did. It was like, I don't know what it was, two, three days, fasting, meditating. And at the end, he had achieved enlightenment. And I truly believe that what he meant by that or what enlightenment was, was that he had gotten to the deepest level in his whole body and then maybe even went beyond. And he realized that there is no reality, right? That our, our concept of, of the world is not actually the world. And so, boom, he had enlightenment. And, and what I loved about Vipassana and what I loved about what I really like about Buddhism is that it, it's all about what you experience. Like, don't take somebody's word for it. Like the, the little guru in, the, in our evening dialogues, he was always like, experience it for yourself. You don't have to believe me. Like, go out. Don't believe anybody. Don't, people will tell you stuff constantly, but until you experience it for yourself, it won't become your truth. It won't become your reality. And how true is that, right? Like, we don't understand what it's like to be a woman. I've never walked in her shoes. I don't understand what it's like to be black. I, I didn't grow up black. We can't, I don't know what it's like to be 80 years old because, my, right, my concept of time continually changes. Here I am, 31 years old. My concept of time, I remember when I was 13 or 14 compared to right now. And even when I was 26 compared to right now, even when I was 28, 28 seems so long ago. I seem so much more immature compared to where I am here at 31. So what will life be like when I'm 80? Well, I can't comprehend it because I've never experienced it. And so if you are going to pursue meditation, because that seems to be a prescription, you know, these self-help gurus and all this kind of stuff, I will tell you this. Meditation is not a state of being. Meditation is an action. And listen, I'm far from where I was, right? Like I, I was doing an hour a day for a long time and it was awesome. And I, I changed as a person. It was fantastic. I would have conversations with my other teacher buddy on the way to school. And you could just see my maturity as those conversations over time changed. Like what is the concept of acceptance? Well, acceptance is not um, something you can just say, okay, well, I accept that this thing happened. And, and, and then expect to find peace. Acceptance is moving forward with your actions, and it's it's been so long. God, it's been so long. But acceptance is is a behavior. It's an action. It's not a it's not a mental state of being. Like oh, I've accepted this thing. Well, you know what? If you've accepted it, then you move forward and continue with your life in a way that one would if one had accepted it. And so 
like, like at, at the time, it was so deep and so profound. And the guy was like, you know, he big pothead, but he was like, dude, my mind just freaking blew up. And I was like, yeah, man, I've never really articulated it until right now, but I understand what it means. So I have a friend who's an alcoholic. Uh, her son is autistic. She has every reason to be an alcoholic because her husband is a deadbeat dad. And my wife uh, was on antidepressants for over 15 years. She's finally off of them. And both individuals have tried to meditate because those are things that are supposed to help you improve and, and help your, your state of mind and your sense of well-being. The problem is they say, well, I go to meditate and my mind's just all over the place. I can't calm down. I can't be quiet. It's, it, I don't understand where this came from because meditation is really lifting weights for the brain. Your attention is focused on your breath. And then your mind wanders off. You bring it back to your breath, and your mind wanders off. And you bring it back to your breath, and your mind wanders off. It's just a sequence, just a series of reps. Meditation is not a state of mind. Meditation is the work it takes, perhaps, to get into that state of mind. That state of mind is just called clarity. It's just called freedom. It's just called peace. Meditation is work, like straight-up work. There was a guy at our Vipassana retreat who had showed up high on mushrooms, and after the very first evening, we meditated for two and a half hours. He had bounced in the middle of the night. He left because, you know, he thought it was going to be some transcendent experience. He thought it was going to be some cool, like hallucin, you know, psychedelic uh, experience, you know, hallucinogenic effect. It was going to be uh, a wild trip. And that is not what it was. It was just straight up hard work, sitting there, trying not to move, trying not to react to the discomfort trying not to react to your mind's cravings. I mean, it was hard. And all you could do is every time it happened, it's bring your attention back. And then you'd wander and you'd bring your attention back. And so if you're trying to start a meditation practice, I would encourage you to try two minutes. And I would pick a position, either sitting cross-legged or on your knees with like a bunch of pillows underneath in between your heels and your butt. I actually built myself a little stool recently and I love it. Um, and if you're sitting cross-legged, I have found it's more comfortable to put a few cushions underneath your butt because you want to elevate your hips up above your knees. Uh, it's, it's just a, be it's a better posture. And take that two minutes and try not to move. If you cannot move for two minutes, like you're going to go through some serious aversion. You're going to be like, wow, this hurts. Here's pain. But you know what pain is? Pain is just a sensation. And sensations are temporary. They come and they go. And when your mind is focusing on the pain, it feels like it's your whole world. Like your leg, like you're probably tearing your ACL. Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm literally breaking my knee apart. It's, it's horrible. I have to move it. And it's like, no, no, you don't. You're just sitting cross-legged for two minutes. Like nothing is going to happen to your knee. But it feels that way when you're focusing on it. And when you take your focus off of that, if you're able to take your focus off of that, You've just built up almost like a mental callus. And I hate to say that you've built up a mental callus because the practice of Vipassana is actually peeling away at these, insert vocabulary term, insert Indian Sanskrit term here, at these layers uh, that you've built up. Kalapas? No, not kalapas are the vibrations. Crud, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But... As you get deeper and deeper down, as your, as your mind can break through these layers that you've accumulated of craving and aversion, craving and aversion, you'll make a breakthrough and then you'll stagnate, right? And you won't feel like you're 
you're going anywhere. There was a time when I, I, for like a month, I felt like I was meditating and I never went anywhere. And the reality is I had just encountered a new and harder barrier. Like the, the early barriers are easy, but it's when you slowly keep scraping away, scraping away, scraping away, it's going to get more challenging, more challenging, more challenging. And so if you're trying to meditate, I would say focus on your breath. I wouldn't even focus on the feeling of your breath. Uh, the, the guy was very clear at our retreat that you should not teach other people Vipassana. Yeah, Vipassana is only to be taught by by qualified individuals, etc., etc. So I'm not trying to teach you Vipassana. You could also focus on what you hear. It doesn't matter. You have to pick something, and it should be something that's related to your five senses. And that is the anchor. And every time your mind wanders, bring it back to the anchor. Every time your mind wanders, bring it back to the anchor. And again, I would I would encourage you not to move. I think that's a really good part of it. And for us, it was like day five or something when the guy would charge us with this idea of don't move for the full 60 minutes like be completely still in the beginning he 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 was like okay if you got to move a little bit this that and the other thing it's not the end of the world but by day four or five it was no there was a special term for it and of course i've smoked so much weed since then i don't remember it but he said you got to gut it out uh, because again, you're, you're, it's, it's strengthening the mind. So I'm off in the weeds here. I would just say, go for it, you guys. Meditation's not a state of mind. It's a way to get to a state of mind. And uh, we'll go ahead and close this one out, baby. Denzel Washington, the man, the legend. Denzel Washington once said, you pray for rain, you got to deal with the mud too. That's a part of it. In our Bible verse of the day, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Remember to find satisfaction in the struggle and peace in the moment. We'll see you next time.